as we walk through this life, faith is a big part of our journey as Christ followers. In order for us to have faith and put it into action, we have to take these steps that seem impossible, but are only are possible with Jesus. Let me back it up and say it this way. Before we do something, we have to believe it before we can see it. And part of this journey is believing before you actually see it. And that's called faith. Looking at your situation, your trial, your adversity, your wall, your addiction, whatever it is, and saying, by faith, I see and believe that it's possible through Jesus Christ. But belief pushes us to actually see it come to place. So even today as we're gathering, we've been walking through this series looking at the seven miracles of Jesus. I've been so encouraged by looking at the steps of faith that individuals are taking and the consistency of Jesus to remind us that in order for us to see him do something and to see this thing being overcome or watching us being able to actually realize what we've been hoping for, there are these instructions of obedience that happen prior to that. So miracles look different for everybody. For you, a miracle today might be just overcoming fear. Fear that envelops you each time you're about to step into a new job. Fear that envelops you each time you're thinking about moving your kids. Fear that envelops you when you have to take a missions trip. Fear that envelops you when you're wanting to say yes to someone to be your husband and your wife for life. Fear that envelops you when you're making a transition from what is comfortable and now you're moving away. So your miracle might be overcoming fear. For some, it might be overcoming an eating disorder that you run to. You have these patterns in your life when stress comes upon you and you're uncertain of what to do. You retreat into these poor behaviors and sometimes addictive behaviors that you find comfort in food. You find comfort in getting away instead of fully relying and trusting in Jesus. And some, a miracle might be overcoming an addiction that has hammered you year after year. And it's created you to be the worst version of yourself. And so faith is saying, I I believe before I see. I trust in Jesus. For some of you, it might, your your miracle might be overcoming this recycling sinful pattern in your life. This thing that continues to, to hammer you and this thing that like you'll go two days and you got victory and then there you are again and you wonder, God, am I ever going to be able to get through this. And so today as we walk and as we've been walking through this journey, miracles play themselves out in different ways. Yet today we'll see a man who his obstacle, his adversity was he was born blind from birth. Now wrap your minds around that. It's hard to do because often we can't experience or fully understand what someone's walking through because we haven't personally walked through that. But as best as you can, imagine walking through a life of never being able to see anything. And that everything that you knew around you was vocal. Everything that you knew around you was touch. And so you formed all these opinions about your world by touch and voice and never being able to see. In this text today, you will see this man. The text says, from birth he was blind. He never had lenses to see the world that God had created. As I was walking through this text this week, I'm reminded of a dear friend, close friend that has been part of our fight club journeys. He lives down in Warsaw. He's a school teacher in the Warsaw school systems, and I've grown to really appreciate and, and, and love him as a brother in the Lord. And he has two children that were both born blind. Both of his children are blind. 
And I have been so inspired watching David Cookie Cook and his wife Amanda raise their children in this world where they can't even see. Every day of their life, they wake up and they don't see. And so anytime I've been able to, to get in contact with them, I have this incredible appreciation, and I'm inspired by their parents who help their children live with joy to accept the circumstances that they're in. And so anytime I'm with them, fight club graduations, whenever they're here, um, I always walk up and say hello. And, 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 and when they're doing exercises, David has introduced me to, to his son and saying, Jim Brown. And, and so the first time I met him, I, I ran into this, this, this energetic, joy-filled kid. And, and I tried to get him a high five, and we missed each other. And, and David said, you got to grab his arm. So I grabbed his arm and gave him a high five. And I had this incredible appreciation for this precious family, these two precious children who wake up every day unable to see unable to see what we take for granted every single day of our lives. Yet it doesn't keep them from living life. In fact, recently uh, on social media, David had posted some videos of his children, one of his son riding a bike for the very first time. And so they took some, some plastic and wrapped around his feet and tied him to the pedals of the bike, and he began to ride his bike. Now imagine, like he's telling him, you got to go straight, trying to ride a bike for the first time, and he threw his video up online, and I wept as I watched, tears of joy. And he rode, he took about three revolutions, and he fell over in the grass, and, and David said, after he, he fell, he said, now, Dad, can we go on a long bike ride? It's just like, he's ready to tackle the world. And recently, his daughter wanted to participate on the track team at her school, and she wanted to run in a race. And he has encouraged her kids, hey, with God's help, we can do anything. Just don't let anything stop us. And on social media, just recently, he posted this video of his daughter running in this race for the very first time. And so this week, I contacted them and asked permission if they would share this video of this precious daughter of theirs, Kaylin, running in a race for the very first time. Watch this video. Now, when you see that, imagine what that was like for her. She had no idea where the finish line was. She had no idea that there were even lanes on the track. All she knew is she would follow her coach who had hooked her to a string and pulled her down the track. And she smiled and she got to, and she didn't even know when she was finished, but she was willing to try. She was willing to step out. She was willing to take these steps of instruction from her coach that said, if you do this, you can experience that. And today we will see a story of a man who Jesus runs into, Jesus bumps into, and Jesus gives him these steps of instruction. He says, if you do this, by faith, you will experience this with your sight. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Turn to John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible and you came here today, hold your hands up or ushers will put one in your hand. But turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. And we're going to see today why I believe this statement to be true. Believing is seeing. Turn to John chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read it out loud together. Stand as we read God's word. John chapter 9, 
verses 1 through 12. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Read. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. You may have a, a seat. Let me just set up this miracle today, this passage today, and remind us of this incredible truth. Like, this is the truth that probably the majority in this auditorium and in the link and those watching by internet, this truth is what many of us need to be reminded of. Often, and I would say often, very often, hardship, trials, adversities is a setup for God to be exalted. They asked this question about this man. Was he blind because of sin? No, and Jesus said no. He is blind, so there is a chance that Jesus himself, God himself can be exalted through this scenario. And as we'll see, through his healing. And so often the trials that you face and that we face and the addictions that you go through and the hardships that you're now, that are now in front of you, when the victory comes and you trusting in Jesus is a chance. Think about this is a chance for Jesus to be glorified through your hardship. Now, sometimes what gets lost in Jesus' life is he was a very busy man. And Jesus was often tired. He had to pull away because people followed him everywhere he went. And just prior to this healing, look where Jesus was at and look what he came from. Just look up a couple verses in John chapter 8 and look at verse 58. Jesus said, Verily, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Very next verse, next picture in Jesus' life. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. I, I appreciate this. Because that guy, that man, that we, is nameless. We just know him as the man that was blind from birth. He didn't wake up that morning on his own trying to go find Jesus. It wasn't as if he was holding up a sign that said Jesus or John 3, 16. As best as we know, he had went through his regular routine of every day begging for food, begging to make it. But the text says, as Jesus was walking along from, from hiding, it says he saw this blind man. This man didn't have any idea that that would be the day 
that that would be the morning that he would run into Jesus and eventually be healed of his blindness. Yet this day would be different than every other day he had ever experienced. Pull away today for you. How many of you woke up this morning thinking, this could be the day. This could be the day this relationship is here. This could be the day the answer comes that I've been waiting. This could be the day that that hardship, that that fear, this could be the day that that addiction is finally overcome. This, how many of you woke up as you drank your coffee or your milk or your orange juice and ate your eggs and your donuts and your danishes, whatever it is, how many of you woke up and thought, this could be the day? This week I was thinking about that because there, I'm convinced that this man wasn't thinking about Jesus that morning. He was thinking, I need food, I'm hungry, I need to beg. But Jesus encountered his world in flesh and blood, saw him, and everything changed forever. As I was processing that, I jotted down these thoughts this week as I was engaging with the text. And this is what I wrote. You have no idea how God is about to surprise you today, tomorrow, next week, next year, or 20 years from now, with his sovereign care over your life. He has been working your life out for good since the creation of the world. He has the answer to and for every deficit, every lack every stress, every burden, every unknown, every uncertainty, every retirement need, every weakness, every addiction, every abandonment, every emptiness, and dream that appears to be dead-ended. He has that ready for you today. It could happen today. If you live with that sense of anticipation that this could be the day that through the power of God and through me taking steps of faith and actions of obedience, I could be free and Jesus could be exalted. Like that would change the way you get out of bed in the morning, wouldn't it? And the reality is we should wake up every day that way. Because Jesus is as alive today as he was when he healed this blind man. Listen to me, please. So when those thoughts want to overcome you, when those fears want to envelop you, when those lies of the enemy tell you that you're not worthy, speak back the truth. I am a follower of God. I am a daughter of the living God. I am a son of the living God. And he loves me. And his grace will abound in my situation. Speak that truth to yourself today. You see... Satan wants you to live in fear. He wants you to lose sleep. He wants you to fret and worry. He wants to keep you from overcoming. He wants you to lay in bed at night and wrestle and have to get up and, 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 and do an active duty because you can't sleep. He wants you to believe that you're not valuable, that you can never overcome. It is a lie from the pit of hell. This could be the day. Listen to me. Jesus could surprise you today. And some of you say, Pastor Jim, my, my issue is, I, I, it, it seems too big. No, it isn't. There is nothing impossible for our God. Absolutely nothing. I think it's interesting too as we pull away and sometimes we, we gloss over blind men. 
But this week I did some research and I found out some things that were really enlightening to me about being born blind and being born, period. Here's some facts about eyesight that we got to take into mind because it really impacts this text. Babies are born legally blind. Did you know that? Did you know that your infant, your child, when it's born, and when I was born and you were born, were born legally blind? And they cannot focus on anything farther than 12 inches away. So when you look at them and you think, oh, they think I'm adorable, they don't see you. That's why touch is so important. So very important to infants. That's how they interpret the world they live in. They are moved, they learn, they feel loved, they feel accepted by touch. At eight months, the eyesight, their eyesight, color vision, and death perception looks like we are making a silly face at them. So think about it. your child, eight months old. And you think, oh, they really love me. No, you look like a clown to them. And they're just laughing. What is that? So I say the formula of the eyesight is a fascinating thing. In fact, if you were to put a patch over one of the eyes of a newborn for a few years, just one of the eyes over a newborn for a few years, that baby would remain blind the rest of their life, even though they weren't born blind. Because there are no synapses that would form between the visual cortex and the optical nerve. So this man's condition, as best as we know, why did I tell you? It's irreversible. He was born blind. So all the formation that was supposed to take place between the visual cortex and the optical nerve never formed. He had no visual images. None at all. Now, even more fascinating this week is that about six months, children start developing internal pictures of external realities. And here's what I mean by that. They see something, tree, bam. Tree goes into their memory bank, into their iCloud of their brain. It never can, it never can be hacked. It's always there. They see, they see a car, car, boom, automatically. And a JPEG, a picture, goes into the memory of their mind. And so you and I have this photo memory that has been implanted in our minds into the hard drives, for lack of better words, in our minds. And so we remember and we speak according to what we see. And so this man didn't have any external to put on the internal. In fact, they start developing internal pictures at six months. And the reality is, you know what the first one is? Mom. Dads, you don't, we don't come along until eight months. I don't know why. That's just what God has. But the first internal photo that is clear to a child is the visual external picture of mom. Give children a few years and their entire vocabulary will have a matching picture. But if your eyesight doesn't develop normally, neither will your mind's eyes. Now think about this man. Think about this for a second. This man had many words in his vocabulary, but he had zero images. None. His photo album was empty. He had no self-image. And quite frank, he could have never even picked his own face and body out of, his own, out of a lineup. 
Like, imagine, okay, when, here, here's a picture of some people. Pick you out. Well, I don't know. No visual internal that matched the external. Nor had he ever looked into a mirror. Nor should he have ever been able to have this condition reversed. He had no idea what he looked like. He had no idea what Jesus looked like. He had no idea what mud looked like as best as he knew. He didn't know what he was putting in his eyes. He had no idea what the pool of Siloam looked like. He had no idea. Hear me out. But with Jesus, all things are possible. They're possible. His situation seems set in stone. Maybe you feel that way today. Nothing has changed for months and years in and, and that relationship, that health condition, that addiction, that financial concern, that anxious panic attack that keeps overtaking you. Nothing's changed. It's like, that's just me. That's how I'm going to be the rest of my life. That's the best my husband's going to be. That's the best my wife's going to be. That's the best my boss is going to be. That's the best I'll be. That's the best my son will be. My son will never change. My daughter will never change. And so if we're not careful, we can set in stone and think it can never get better. But when you inject Jesus and all he has to do is come walking by. Today's the day for you. Today's the day for you. Today's the day for you. This could be your day. And when we live with that reality, every day could be a great day because Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. Look what happens to this man. They ask questions. His disciples even ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happens so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is this today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now listen to me. This is so incredibly critical because it's a life changer in your attitude. The very thing that you detest, the very thing that is difficult, the very impossible situation that you now face could be an opportunity for Jesus to get glory through. So pull away. The next time you think about that, you can say, praise God. Jesus, you can use this mess for good. You can use this situation that people will look back and say, only God could do that. Only God could bring restoration there. Only God could bring healing there. Only God could knock down that wall. God, you can use this thing that keeps me awake at night for your glory. So today I choose to praise you. It's a choice. Let me ask you a question. Do you? Or do you run to your friends and say, he's horrible. She's horrible. They're horrible. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I hope he gets rid of this. You just want to get rid of it. Because you don't want to deal with it anymore. The very thing that you just want to dispose of, the very addiction, the very fear, you just want to throw away. It's like, can I just shake it off? Jesus saying, wait a minute. Don't you realize that if I walk into the room, I can turn that thing into something 
could. And in doing so, people, listen, I get glory and the world is one. Jesus can use your situation to win the world to Jesus. That's a different perspective. It's not the one you'll get in your timeline this week on Facebook. It's not often the one you get in the workplace. But it's the one you get in the Word of God. You see, at some point we must realize that the circumstances we ask God to change are the very circumstances that God is using to change us. You see, there are only some things God can teach you on the other side of yes. Yes, I trust you, even if I don't want to, God. (laughs) Oh, God, can you just get rid of it? But I trust you, and I believe that you're going to use it for your glory, and I'm going to walk in obedience, and I'm crossing that finish line at some point. Today could be the day. Tomorrow could be the day. But until then, I'm trusting you. Sometimes the very thing that you long to see happen and it gets blocked. You don't like, and I don't like, but God uses to show you and open another door. I'll go back to a very, 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 very challenging moment in Ann and I's life seeking God. Newly married, three years into the journey, four years into the journey, working at a local church in Hagerstown, Maryland. I was a carpenter. She was a door estimator for a door company. We were happy. I was serving as a layperson youth pastor in the church and enjoying it, serving as an elder on the elder team. And, and God was working in our hearts, starting a ministry called the Hagerstown Teen Center. We were involved in it and watching teens' lives change. And it was an, an incredible time. And, and so the church started talking about hiring an associate pastor, a youth pastor. Because youth ministry was growing. The teen center was bringing in hundreds of kids on the weekends and they were getting saved. Kids were getting knocked off of drugs. We were seeing God do amazing things. And I remember during that journey and Ann and I were praying, Lord, this is it. Like, it just makes sense. Jim and youth pastor. There it is. Like, we're working with the youth. We started the teen center and this is our home church. This is Hagerstown. It all made sense. Cousins are there. Aunts are there. Parents go there. Like, that's the church. That's it we started to get really excited about it. And we started believing that that's the place, that was the best case scenario, that was for us. We were very excited about it. And I would say giddy excited about it because we felt like that was the call of ministry in our lives to serve in a local church and me as a pastor. And and so as time got closer, we got more excited for that. I even remember the drive there that night for the vote from the church. We're driving to the church that we had served in, blood, sweat, and tears in. People loved us. They loved Dan. They loved us. Wow. It's going to be like, Lord, why are we even voting? (laughs) And I remember sitting down in the pew that night making a decision that I'm not going to vote because I don't want to sway the votes. I want the people to be led by God. As we sat there, they said, hey, this position we're thinking about, a youth pastor position, they had never had another pastor. They've always had a solo pastor. So it was a step of faith for the church. It was a financial step of faith for the church. They took a vote. We didn't get voted in. They required a 66% vote, and it was 65.8. And to say that we were disappointed is an understatement. I was crushed. My wife was crushed. And I remember sitting in the pew that night when they made the announcement, telling myself, Jim, talk to your face, talk to your face. Pretend it's okay. (laughs) Have to talk to your face a lot, don't you? 
And I remember squeezing the hand of my wife of three or four years and just holding on and believing that God must have something pretty good because, doggone it, this is pretty good. I remember leaving that night and and then I cried on the way home. And it was real easy in that moment if we allowed ourselves to say, why, 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 but we, we, what, what, what? Little did I know that just a few, four or five weeks after that, the Lord spoke boldly to us one night at the teen center. I rolled an ankle playing basketball with the teens, and I realized I needed to take some time away from work because I worked as a carpenter because I had torn a ligament in my ankle. And both of us, independent of each other, felt impelled or inspired by God to go visit Grace College and go back and see what was available in graduates. Study. So we said, you know what? Let's drive out to Grace College. Josh was six months old, and my cat, my foot, I couldn't walk, and so we drove out to Grace College. Ran out of gas about three miles from the college. I'd get out, and another guy helped me pushing him with a bad ankle. It's another story, but anyhow, finally, finally getting there. We walked into this counselor's office at Grace. Ron Henry was the counts was admissions counselor, and he began to tell us about this program that Grace College had. That if you were a Bible major that if you went into, on to seminary, that the first year of your studies, you basically had a one year of graduate study already complete. I was a Bible major, and I, 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 I minored in Greek and Hebrew. Like, I already had a year of graduate study, and I had to do sign my name. We left that office, and both of us outside, tears running down our face, and said, that's what God wants us to do. Now, I, I, I tell you all that because we went on, And God had something that he thought was better for us called Grace Community Church. That we had, listen, no idea about. We thought that was it. Yet God said, I am faithful, and if you continue to walk in obedience, I'm shutting this door, but I'm opening up this door. All that to say this. Sometimes when it seems like God isn't answering what you want, it might not be what he wants. And when our desires line up with his desires, he gives us the desires of our hearts. So I look at this situation here. We can glorify God under any and every circumstance when we realize he knows what's best for us and is working all things out for good for us. But most miracles require a huge step of obedience. Watch what happens to this man. Look at verse 6. He hears from Jesus, and then Jesus does this. Chapter 9 and verse 6, it says this. After saying this, he spit on the what? Now, now picture that just for a second. Like, just, just pause there. Just that part of it. Like, there's this, there's this blind man. Like, I'm sorry. I jump into the text sometimes and become characters and kind of helps me understand. So, this blind man's there, and these people watching. So Jesus just... Now, if you just stop there, what are you up? What's he up to? I'm sorry. That's how I see text sometimes. Just, he just spits on the ground. And then he takes the mud, the dirt, and he forms this mud. And look, look, look what it says. It says this. Made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And he said, go. Now, in all seriousness, that's weird. Seriously, that's just weird. Like, if you're standing there, like, 
Now walk. Look what it says. Now look what it says. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home what? Let me just say this. The method by which Jesus heals isn't the point. The point is his power and he's able to. And I believe the reason Jesus didn't heal the man on the spot. Don't you wonder that? Like, he could have. He could have just, like, hey, he sees a blind man. Like, I gotta get going. Like, I gotta preach up on the mountaintop over here. See you later. He didn't. Because he can. He can choose to. Jesus can can just, just wave his power over us and heal us. So why didn't he? Why, why, Why didn't he just heal him on the spot? Because he wanted this man to step out in faith. He wanted this man to to, to walk in obedience. Why? To show Jesus that he trusted him. That even if he looks like a fool. Now picture this. Imagine in this area, the pool of Siloam, there's, there are these steps that go down to the pool of Siloam. And most likely he probably had to go through Hezekiah's tunnel. Imagine if you can Getting that instruction from Jesus. All right, Jesus, like, I need this relationship breakthrough. Well, put some mud on your head, and I want you to walk from here to LaGrange and shut your eyes. Like, that's stupid. So picture this man, this blind man walking, mud on his eyes. Imagine the faith it took, walking down steps, and each step, thinking, where's the pool? He didn't know how far it was. Best as he knew, Jesus said, hey. And he kept feeling this stuff on his eye. What is that stuff? He couldn't see it. Best as he knew, it was some magic power. So he's walking, walking, walking. And finally, he gets near the sand. Uh Uh-oh, must be getting near water. And there's, there's water, and he gets in, and he starts. Now, imagine all these people watching him. Like, what's the blind man up to today? Well, he's got mud on his eyes and he's taking a bath. Why did Jesus require that from him? I'll say it again. Often your miracle comes with a set of instructions of obedience. He stepped, he stepped because he believed. He believed. Here's what I know from experience, 55 years of experience living on planet Earth. Here's what I've come to learn from my own journey. Here's what I've come to learn from many of your journeys. Here's what I know about steps of faith from experience. The fear grows the closer you get to the transition of that step. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe God has called you to step out in the deep. Maybe God has called you to step obedience to trust him. And you've said yes. Lord, I'll go. I'll do it. Yeah, God, I'll fly. Lord, I'll eat tarantulas in Africa. I'll do it because I trust you. I I got the passport. I got the money. I got the support. And the closer it gets to the, 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 the time of departure, the more fear enveloped. I have seen people who have said yes to God and they are so yes for six months. They are so yes for three months. They are so yes, I'll fight God. I'll stand with him. I'll stand with her. I'll believe, I'll believe. And the closer it gets to that moment, I've watched them retreat in fear. And why do you think that is? Because you're opposed by an enemy who doesn't want 
to see Jesus get glory through your action of faith. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you retreated when you said yes? Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever. Here's what else what I know from experience. The enemy amps up his attack right before it's go time. Right before it's go time. Why? He doesn't want to see Jesus get glory. And if we finally come to grips with, listen, through this hardship, through me believing and standing in faith when no one else does, and if I remain there, Jesus gets glory. Satan doesn't want Jesus to get glory. Imagine the walk and the mind battle that this man had to walk through. Saying, this is crazy. Like, I can't, like, what's this stuff on my eyes? How's this going to help? How's water going to help? Jesus, I took a bath today. Here, smell. How's it going to help? Can you imagine all the thoughts that come? You know, you, you know them. Every one of us know them. They come from the enemy. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. It'll never happen for you. It happens for him. It always happens for them. It won't happen for you. Why are you trying? Listen, they'll always go back to the way they were. They'll never improve. It's impossible for, for, for them to ever get better in that relationship. All these lies, lie, lie, lie. Even your friends will tell you, oh, that's it. It's over. It's over. And so all these lies come. At some point, you got to stop and stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Jesus can do anything. That's what you need to speak. You say, way too many Christ followers. Listen to the enemy and remain defeated instead of talking and speaking the truths about their God and stand victoriously. This man does. I wonder what steps of obedience he longs for you to take to find breakthrough. Many people get so close. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all in Jesus. So here, here's what we do. We work to find something that fits our schedule, that's comfortable. Yeah, I'm not going to step out in the deep, Jesus, but I'll take this little step. And he's saying, hey, get on the high dive and do a double flip. I got you. Many people get so close, yet when the bell rings for go time, they retreat. You got to think yes instead of thinking No. What I mean by that? You see, I don't know what your situation is, but God does. And you can always find a reason to not do it. And that's how we operate. Well, I won't do that, and I can't do that because of this, or because of her, because... I mean, seriously, it's, it's easy to find a reason not to do something. Like, that's, that's simple. And the same is true. It's easy to find a reason to do it. But why is it that one no outweighs 17 yeses? You can always find a no. You can always find a reason, too hard, too difficult, too long, too much, whatever it is. You can always find a no. But listen to me, start thinking yes instead of thinking no. I could even tell you reasons no. But when you believe by God that he has called you to it, even the no's won't stop you. When Jesus has said, as he did to this man, go. Jesus, go is better than any no of yours. Some of you operate that way. You're pretty good at it, too. Well, I'm not going to do that because the last time this happened, and if I do that, then I'll shoot my eye out. Some of these things are just nuts. Some will never believe even after seeing. Man gets healed. Look what happens. Verse 8, 
or verse 7, end of verse 7. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Look at, look at verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 no. <laughs> he looks like him. But he himself, what? What's the word? Insisted. And what did he say? I am the what? How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud or something, put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. It's interesting that we all form what psychologists call, and it's something I, I learned in seminary, it was very interesting, is that we all have an explanatory style that we've developed. Like, every time you face something before you do it, you have this explanatory style. You look at a situation and you make an assumption about it. And on the basis of that assumption about God or your situation or your hardship or your trial or your addiction, whatever it is, you make an assumption when it happens to you. It's called explanatory style. Let let me give you an example. Let's say you're at a restaurant waiting for a date that you were supposed to meet at 7 o'clock sharp. But 45 minutes later, he or she is a no-show. At some point, you need to explain to yourself why the person isn't there. Explanatory. Here are some possible explanations. You might think, he stood me up, causing you to become mad. You could jump to conclusion and think, she doesn't love me anymore, causing you to become sad. You could assume he was in an accident, causing you to feel anxious. You might even imagine he's working overtime so that he can pay for our meal, causing you to feel grateful. You could speculate, she's with another man, causing you to feel jealous. Or you might realize This gives me a perfect excuse to break up with her, giving you a great deal of relief. Same situation, very different explanations. Five people could have the same thing happen to them, and based upon your explanatory style and what you believe about God, you can make an assumption that is so far from reality. Here's what I would say. Biblically speaking, your explanations are more important than your experiences. When bad things happen to us, it's easy to play the victim card, but you're not the victim. When you know who you are in Christ, you are more in a conqueror in anything you face. God has a way out. So they ask him, where's this man that did this? The Pharisees were always looking for a reason to nail Jesus to the cross. We never often get to see what happens to these people. Like, what happens to these people after they, they get to see again? We can assume the best, and sometimes in the Old Testament you'll see they turn away from God again. But watch what happens to this man who was blind. Watch what happens. It's incredible. It's incredible. Look at verse 13. Just follow along in your Bible. Make sure you follow along with it because we're going to walk right through it. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been what? What's it say? Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eye was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, 
how he had received his sight. And so he said, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I what? Okay, that's it. Like, you ask the question, right? Watch what happens. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Like, he wouldn't work on Saturday. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were what? So one group was saying, he can't, he, 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 he's working on the Sabbath, he's breaking the law, he's not a religious man. But some were saying, sinners can't make blind people see. So the group was divided. So they don't know what to do. Then verse 17 says this. They turned again to the blind man. I'm going to say, he's not blind anymore, buddy. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a what? Prophet. They still did not what? What's the word? Believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. <laughs> They're like, okay, you don't believe me, get mom and dad. So what's mom and dad do? Is this your son? They ask. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And I want to say, he already told you. Look what they say. We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this, though, because they were what? Afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents passed the buck. Jim insert there. He is of age. Ask him. Okay? They go back to the man who can now see. A second time, they summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Like they're saying, you're not telling the truth. I mean, there he is. I mean, look, he's one. After a while, it's like, dude, I can see you. Hey. Look what he says. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. The blind man who was now with sight replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love this. Like, this, is, this conversation is, is, is incredible. Like, I want to say, Pharisees, what part about seeing don't you understand? Say, look, I see you. Move on. Look what it says. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? I love what his response. And he asked, how did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. Here, here, here's the line every parent has said to their child. But you did not what? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love that. Look, that is so good. Like he's fed up. He knows these religious people don't want to be Jesus followers. He's saying, listen, do you want to become a Jesus follower too? He's coming right back. They get ticked. They get ticked. Look what happens. They get ticked. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses and we follow the law. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, they, they call Jesus this fellow. We don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now that, look at his response. Wow, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Let, let, look, let, no, look, no little jab. Yet, yeah, guess what? <laughs> he opened my eyes. 
Watch what happens. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listened to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they did what to him? Threw him out. Watch what happens though, Grace. I love this ending. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found the man who can now see, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may what in him? Believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Like, that is so awesome. Like, tell me about that dude. Can you tell me? Oh, I know. He opened my eyes. Can you tell me about him? He said, hey, I'm right here. You're looking at him. And then look what happens. Then the man said, Lord, I what? Believe. And he worshiped him. He gets saved. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Oh, yes, you are. Jesus said, if, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The man born blind ends up with sight, and the Pharisees end up legally blind. I have some questions to ask you. And I want you to really let the Spirit of God dig deep and answer these. What step of obedience do you need to take to find breakthrough for your situation? What is it? Are you kind of like manufacturing and you say, well, Lord, I'm doing a little bit and like I'm trying to get there and here's my version of it, Jesus. This is my version of, no, 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 no. What step? I want you to walk blindly with mud in your eyes down a hundred steps and look like a fool and people look at you and you don't know what's going to happen. I just want you to walk in faith and obey me. Let me ask you another question. Where have you let fear paralyze you over a situation in your life? Where are you listening more than you're talking to yourself? Where is fear keeping you from taking that step and transition? Let me ask you another question. Are you more like the Pharisees or the man who can now see? Is your ultimate goal the healing in your life or for God to get glory with your situation? See, God never wastes pain. God never wastes adversity. God never wastes a trial in your life. He wants to use it as a setup for his son Jesus to get glory. Let me ask you another question. What do you do even if the miracle you're believing in doesn't happen? Let me go back to my friend, Cookie, and his wife, Amanda. I love the way they follow Jesus. I love 
I am so inspired by their faith. Because even though their kids don't see, doesn't mean they don't believe that God can heal. But they choose to live above their circumstances and the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control ooze from their family in the midst of the total blindness. Believing is seeing even before you physically see it. Do you believe? You see, it's only by God's grace that he even comes to us and offers us salvation. It's only by God's grace that he chooses to let us overcome. It's only by God's grace that we're saved. It's only by God's grace that blind men see, but it takes always, there are always instructions of obedience that we must walk through and we must talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves or our closest friends who tell us to give up. Oh Lord, help us today. Help us today to believe by faith that with you all things are possible. God, help us not let fear when we get very close to the transition or the step of faith cause us to retreat. Let us walk in your grace, your amazing grace, and let us step out in faith, believing, God, that you're going to get glory through this hardship and that today could be the day that you surprise us. God, it's good to know you. We're so grateful that we don't have to do it alone. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us faith to go where no man is willing to go unless he goes with Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.